6.30. We'll be having our annual administrative business meeting and all that good stuff. It is for, for church members only just to deal with the business that we've got in preparation for the new year. And then Friday, January the 13th at 6 o'clock, we're going to have a family game night. So bring the family, bring some friends. Uh, we'll have an evening of games, fellowship, food and fun. Bring some snacks and board games to share, and we'll have a good time with that. And then Sunday, January the 22nd, uh, we'll have a missionary, Justin uh, Bushy, with us. He'll be presenting that morning and looking forward to that as well. It's always good to have missionaries with us. Always good to be able to, to hear about what the Lord's doing and what God's calling people to do and how he's using people throughout the world. And then as well, a reminder, Thursday, January 26th, Saturday uh, through Saturday the 28th will be the men's prayer advance. If you haven't signed up, sign up and let me know if you do, if you need help with it or anything like that. But we've got a good small group of guys that are going. I'm looking forward to what the Lord's going to have for us there, all right? Uh, so with all that being said this morning, let's pray, and then we're going to jump straight, in, uh, straight into things. Lord, we come to you this day. We want to thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your kindness to us. God, we thank you for uh, allowing us just to uh, worship you today in spirit and in truth. Help us do so without distractions or, or anything just to, to clog our, our hearts or our minds. But Lord, that we would be free today. We'd have freedom and liberty as your word is preached, the freedom and liberty to to be able to sing your praises, to glorify you, to honor you, to praise your name today. We thank you for meeting with us. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for answered prayer this past year. Thank you for the answers to prayer that you're going to give to us even today and even this coming year. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time and we give it to you now and meet the needs of every heart today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. And Happy New Year, and blessed be the name of the Lord. I am really loud this morning. Uh, bless his holy name. Hymn number 55 will be our first song as we get started singing. Psalm 103.1 tells us this, a psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Name, our Lord is holy. Sing out unto our holy Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15 57 tells us, But thanks be to God 
which giveth us the victory through who? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There's the only way to victory is in Jesus. Victory in Jesus. Remember on the chorus when we say, uh, uh, so uh, bought to me the victory. That's where we say sold. And then with his redeeming blood, we say praise the Lord. So don't forget to do that. Maybe I won't forget either. I hope not. <laughs> I heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory How he gave his life on Calvary To save a wretch like me I heard about his groaning, of his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sins and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me. Sold with his redeeming 
song is hymn number 521 a new name in glory Luke 10 20 tells us notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven and we got a new name written in heaven a new name in glory I was once a sinner, but I came pardoned to receive from my Lord. This was freely given, and I found that he always kept his word. There's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine, oh yes, it's mine, and the white-robed angels sing the story a sinner has come home for there's a new name written down in glory and it's mine oh yes it's mine with my sins forgiven i am bound
All right, before we sit down, let's uh, make sure we make everyone feel welcome. Say hello. Don't say goodbye. Say hello. Shake hands, smile, stay where you're at, move around. It's whatever you want to do. Amen. Okay, thank y'all for being uh, sociable and uh, getting around and making everybody feel welcome. We hope if you're new here today that you have been made feel welcomed here today, and we're glad you're here. Now we have a special song by two special people, very special one of them. <laughs> we can't hardly get her up here, but Miss Brittany and her mother Anne's going to sing a special. It's good to... Good to have y'all.
Appreciate that. What a blessing. And yes, his mercies daily, sometimes are disguised, but they're there. Amen. Thank God for his mercy. Please bow and close your eyes and pray with me to the Most High God. Our precious Heavenly Father, holy, righteous, good Heavenly Father, we come to you and thanking you, Lord, for the past year. Thanking you, Lord, for the first day of the new year. And, Lord, you've been so good to us in 2022. And we ask your blessings for 2023. We ask and pray, Lord, that we would be obedient and obey, Lord, the commands of your word and live a life pleasing to thee and that we could receive your blessings, Lord, from being obedient. And, uh, Lord, your word promises that. And help us to live for you and glorify you and honor you in everything we say and do in 2023. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come to your house here today and to assemble together and to fellowship around your word and the songs, Lord, that you've given us to sing honor and glory to you. 
And Lord, we ask, Lord, you'd help our pastor preach your word today, the message you've given him, him for your people. We pray, Lord, you give him boldness and liberty and strength to deliver that message. And speak to hearts, Lord, uh, establish us and encourage us and convict us, Lord, in from your word here today. And we'll be faithful to give you all the praise, honor, and glory for everything that's accomplished here today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, if you would, and are able, please stand one more time. Don't sing a song titled, His Mercy is More, following up behind uh, Brittany and Ann's song. Psalm 136.1 tells us, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. And this is the part I really like. His, for his mercy endureth forever. Thank God for ever enduring mercy. We need it every day, every minute, every second. His mercy is more. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. Stronger 
Preach God's word to God's people. Come on, Pastor Joe. Amen. Thank you for the songs. Grateful to worship the Lord. Thank you, ladies, for that song. That was that was beautiful. And uh, thankful for the Lord's graciousness to to line up two songs back to back that speak of the mercy of God. There's not one of us this morning that does not need the mercy of God. Every one of us, when God looks at us, He sees our great need. He has a tremendous amount of pity upon us, not in a way that is condescending, but in a way of which He loves us with such a love that we can't fathom, we can't understand the depths, the heights, the riches, the breadth, the depth of His, of his love for us, His mercy that He gives to us his, in His grace what we do not deserve, and in His mercy He withholds from us all that we deserve. There's not one of us in here this morning that does not deserve absolute hell, fire, brimstone forever and forever, but because Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary he took that sin. He took that punishment. He paid that price. He who knew no sin was made sin for us so that we might be made the righteous of God in Him. You and I have found new life, and it is life in Christ. There is no life outside of Him. And as we come today, I hope that you come needy. I hope that you come begging. I hope that you come today filthy and vile because that's just who God's mercy is for. That's just what God's mercy is, is there to do to clean us up. To, to rid us of those things. And as well, there is not one of us today that could ever, ever outrun the mercy of God, outsin the mercy of God. His mercy endures forever. Take your Bible, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter number 9 this morning. <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter number 9. As we approach this new year, we know that with a new year, that means that an old one came to a close. It came to an end. Uh, we say and hear phrases out with the old and with the new. We've got a lot of popular stuff. Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, New Year, New Me, all that stuff. Today, I want to give you the opposite of any of that. You and I are in need of mercy to change us. Our flesh doesn't want to change. My flesh doesn't want to lose 10 pounds. My spirit knows it probably ought to lose 12. <laughs> our flesh doesn't want to help our flesh. Our flesh just wants to live for the flesh. God has a much greater thing for us. The fact that we are alive today, January 1st, 2023 now. It was just January 1st of last year. I, I, I'm convinced of it. But here we are today, 
you're alive today. The Lord has allowed us the past two weeks to gather together as the body of Christ on Christmas morning and on New Year's. Talk about God's goodness and faithfulness. That we can start off our year getting to know God afresh and anew. New life does not begin until the old has ended. We must come to the end of ourselves in order to find the new beginning of a new life. That is not just your salvation, by the way, but that is every day of your life. You and I must come to an end of ourselves the moment we wake up so that we can find the newness, the freshness, and the new morning mercies to live the Christian life and to gather as the church, to be used by the mighty hand of God. Today we're going to be looking at two verses today. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse, verse 23 and 24. We're going to be seeing that the greatest thing that you and I can do is know God. The thing that we're called to do this new year, if you have a, a resolution, it must be to know God. You might be here today and you might say, well, well, preacher, pastor, Joe, whatever you call me and whatever you'd call me and don't tell nobody else about, you might be saying, well, well, how about this? I do know God. I'm saved, right? That means I know Him. I'm glad that you're saved if you are. That is wonderful. God delights that you are saved, but He would delight all the more if you would know Him deeper. You and I miss out on much of what God would give to us because we refuse to go deeper in knowing Him. The reason why many marriages fail is for the same reason. The reason why many relationships fail for the same reason. We refuse to go deeper in a knowledge that goes beyond our minds but goes into our very hearts. We don't just need an educational knowledge of God. We need an experiential knowledge of who God is. It is not enough to know that God met with Moses in the burning bush. We need to find the Lord at that burning bush. We need to know the presence of God. We need to know how to abide in God, to rest in God, to depend upon God. To know God means to trust God. And there are many of us that have known Him and trusted Him for our salvation, and then we've left it at that. And you are missing out. The reason why there are countless Christians who live unassured, countless Christians who live without peace or comfort or hope, countless Christians who have no joy, have no hunger, have no thirst, is because they got their fire insurance, they got saved, they had a knowledge of God, and it changed their hearts. They gave, we were given eternal life, but now the life that they live is a miserable one because they refuse to go deeper in a knowledge and trust of God. Where are you at today? Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Let us pray. God, we come to You this day. We want to thank You for Your mercy. 
God, we thank You for a new day, a new year, a new moment, a new breath. God, I pray if there's one in this place who has not experienced Your mercy, who has not received that mercy that You freely offer by faith, that this would be the moment, the hour, today, the day of salvation. God, for the the saved soul that has wandered that has grown weary or tired or cold, God, that today that they would come to a deeper knowledge of You, that You would be able to give them a, a, a hunger and a thirst for You and You alone. God, that we would see that You delight in us knowing You. Lord, I pray that You would rid us of all distractions today. Lord, guard my heart, my mind, my flesh, my tongue, that it would be You that preaches to Your people, Your Word. God, that You would do great and mighty things today. Show us Christ today. Show us the cross today. Show us Your faithfulness today. Show us all that we need today that we might come to You today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Lost and saved must come to an end of themselves, an end of this life, in order to find real life. The beginning and end of life is found in knowing God. Your eternity is based on whether you know Christ or not. Not knowing about Him, but knowing Him. How many of you who are married today would say that you know your spouse? I would hope so. There was a few who your spouse just looked at you and did this. and Right? I saw some elbows flying, some finger poking. Why? Because the longer that you live with a person, you should know them more, shouldn't you? Not know about them. That's good to know favorite flowers or, or you know, what color their hair is probably a birthday and anniversary date. Those are helpful things. But to know someone, it's to know that when they don't say a word, you know they're angry, happy, sad, discouraged, something's not right. It's knowing when to speak, when not to speak. It's knowing a multitude of things in relationship because you grow in not just a knowledge about someone, but in a deep trust with that individual. You and I often miss that our God has called us and desires and delights when we walk with Him, when we fellowship and commune with Him, that we grow in a knowledge of Him. I want you to know, God is never going to grow in His knowledge of you. He formed and fashioned you. He made you literally from the inside out. He knows your downfalls. He knows your rising. He knows everything. He knows even the motivation of your heart, even when you think your motivation is good. He knows. He will not grow in His knowledge of you, but you and I must grow in our knowledge of Him. What do we think of God? How do we think of God? When do we think of God? Why do we think of God? How does this determine how we live? Because what we think about God determines what we believe about God, and what we believe about God will determine how we live for God or not. Today we'll find that true life is found in knowing Him. Nothing worthwhile is found outside of truly knowing the Lord. To know Him is to trust Him and to be in total dependence and faith. I want to look at the background of this passage for just a moment today to help us out a little bit. You say you just plopped us there at the end of chapter 9 of Jeremiah. What's happening here? Jeremiah 9 answers this. Verse number 3. The Lord is speaking. Speaking of His people. People that He knows. People that ought to know Him. 
He's talking to people and about people that are in a covenant walk and relationship with the Lord their God, a people that have been delivered time and time again. Does that sound familiar? It sounds not just like Israel, but it sounds like my life and your life. He says, and they bend their tongues like their bow for lies, but they are not valiant for the truth upon the earth. For they proceed from evil to evil, and they know not me, saith the Lord. Verse number 6. Thine habitation is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit they refuse to know me, saith the Lord. In the matter of three verses they go from they don't know me to they refuse to know me. The reason why today you spiritually are either just barely hanging on or not is determined on what you are doing with a knowledge of God. You will be as close to God as you want to be. And we get to this point where we go from not knowing Him to then we can get to the place quickly where we refuse to know the God that knows us and cares for us and desires to give us great things in Christ Jesus. You and I have missed out on so much in our Christian life because we've refused a knowledge of God. You know, just studying the Bible and coming to Bible studies or going to Sunday school, it's just too deep. It's just not my thing. There's too many big words. There's too much stuff. I can't understand it all, so I may as well not try. That's the wrong attitude. Because I can't understand all that God is drives me to want to know Him more. It drives me to want to go deeper to go higher, to go wider, to know this God that has revealed Himself to us in His Word, that delights in us knowing Him, trusting Him. He, our Heavenly Father, desires and delights that we would give Him every burden, every gift that He's given to us, every dollar, every penny, every cent, every second, every breath, every beat of our heart. He desires that we would try to overload him and overwhelm him with all of our problems because that's when he can show us who he really is god delights in revealing himself to us deeper and deeper through his word through his spirit through the communion and fellowship of the saints of god god delights in us knowing him do we delight in knowing him furthermore verses 13 and 14 tell us this and thus saith the Lord, because they have forsaken my law which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, neither walked therein. But I have walked, at, but but have walked. They have walked after the imagination of their own heart, and after Balaam, which their fathers taught them. Why was there immorality in Israel? Because there was idolatry. Why is there immorality in our churches? Because there's idolatry in our churches. Why is there immorality in our homes, and our hearts, and our minds? In my mind, in my heart, idolatry. Because we refuse to know God when we already should. We refuse to go deeper. We refuse to obey His voice. There should be nothing sweeter than the voice of God. There should be nothing sweeter than the Word of God. And yet we refuse. We refuse. We refuse. We've read verses 23 and 24, but the immediate following verses, verses 25 and 26, tell us this. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will punish all them which are circumcised with the uncircumcised. The circumcised are speaking of 
his fleshly circumcised people Israel, who had made an outward sign of that covenant of which God had established with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He had continued to establish it there in, in the Mosaic Law. It was to express that they were to obey the voice of God, that they were to know their God who loved them, who delivered them and redeemed them and set them apart and made them a nation that was no nation, that made them a people that was no people, that delivered them into the promised land. Egypt and Judah and Edom and the children of Ammon and Moab and all that are in the utmost corners that dwell in the wilderness. Notice this. For all these nations are uncircumcised. He says they're heathen nations. They're pagan nations. What do we know about each one of these nations? The idea is that they all went whoring after other gods. He says, For all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in the heart. Here's what that means they were circumcised in their flesh. Outwardly, they said, we obey God, we know God, we love God, we love the God who delivers us, we love the God of our fathers, but we also offer incense to false gods, we sacrifice our children, we live in immorality, we offer up idols, and we pray to Balaam because they're uncircumcised in their heart. The outward circumcision there in Israel of that covenant was to show a deep, trust and faith in the Lord their God. And when God Himself sees their heart, He says, their flesh may be circumcised, but inwardly they don't know Me. They refuse to know Me. They are uncircumcised in their heart. Meaning, their flesh has faith, but their heart has none. And that's not salvation. That's not sanctification. That's not knowing God. As we look at this, verse 23 today, first of all, we're going to see God's directions. God's directions. He's speaking to a specific audience here in verse 23 that we need to see because it's the same audience today. Look at this. First of all, verse 23 begins with one of the most important phrases in all of the Scripture, and you find it all throughout Isaiah, Jeremiah, the prophets, all throughout the Bible because this is God's Bible. This is God's Word. This is God speaking to us so that we might know Him. This is God revealing Himself to His people. This is God revealing Himself to you and I today on the first day of this year to let you know once more, this is who I am. Thus saith the Lord. God's Word is not just the final authority. It is the only authority with all authority. His Word carries all authority. His Word carries all weight, all majesty, because it carries His very nature, His very character, His very will and work. His Word is what we need for life itself. Jesus even prayed about this there in the garden in John 17, verse 3, And this is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. The only way that there's eternal life is to know God. The only way to know God is going to be through His Word. There is not a knowledge of God outside of His Word. 
This is why we must carry the gospel, the word of God, throughout all the world and preach it unashamedly, boldly, and accurately. This is why every part of your life must be founded upon the very word of God. This is why your mind must be settled upon the word of God. This is why your heart must be founded upon the word of God, dependent upon the word of God. We must be dependent upon this book when it is opened to us. We must have ourselves open to it. And it does a mightier work than we could ever imagine. What God is doing when He says, thus saith the Lord here in this moment, is that He is about to pronounce judgment to His rebellious people and to reveal His character again to them. But He's also going to promise throughout this book pardon and restoration. He says, you've rebelled. You've not known Me. You've refused to know Me. You've not walked in My ways. You've sacrificed idols. You're uncircumcised in heart. But as you read the book of Jeremiah, what you also find is that God says, you're going to go into captivity, but not forever. You're going to be punished, but not forever. Because I will deliver you, my people. But there is only deliverance when we trust in the Lord. There is only deliverance from sin when we trust in Him. There is only deliverance from ourselves when we trust in Him. There is only deliverance from this world when we trust in Him. God is addressing a specific audience in this. People that should know Him. People that say they know Him, but they do not know Him. How do you know they don't know Him? Because they don't trust Him. How do you know they don't trust Him? Because they don't obey Him. That's the line. They are full of faith but their faith is in their flesh. Today, there are countless people who have been saved by the grace and mercy of God, but they live the rest of their life trusting in the hand of their own flesh. And they live miserable, wretched, terrible Christian lives full without victory, without peace and assurance and comfort and consolation. You know why? Because of refusal to know Him. We want to know God so we don't go to hell. But do we want to know God so that He would change us? That's the difference between just being saved and being used of God. Knowing Him. Here, notice this. He says, Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory. First of all, this word glory. It means to boast in, to put confidence in, or trust in. To glory in something means that today when the Washington Redskins, commanders, whatever they are, when they beat the Cleveland Browns, I hope, (laughs) I hope, when they do, I can boast, hey, they won. I'm confident in that. I'm trusting. They won. They could do it. I glory in it. Now, I might not have that. But today when this is over, today when when this day ends, when tomorrow comes, if it comes, the only thing that I've got to glory in won't be if the Redskins win or not. They could win the Super Bowl. That stretch and things. The fact that y'all are laughing shows you're not putting confidence in it. But what I do know is this. Whether they win a Super Bowl or not, the only thing that I have to glory in in my life is Jesus Christ. The only thing that I could ever boast in is not my flesh, 
It is not a football team. It is not a bank account. It is not muscles. It is not good looks. It, it's nothing. It's Christ alone. Many of us and many churches boast glory in our names, our bank accounts, how many missionaries we got or don't got, what our building looks like or don't look like, how conservative we are or not conservative we are. We boast in how good we are, kind we are, giving we are, and we're full of pride, and all the while we refuse to know God that we ought to know. And we miss out on a great deal. He says, first of all, let not the wise man glory in wisdom. Here's what this means. In all their wisdom, and they had plenty of it in their day. You and I have plenty of it in our day. In the sense that we've got knowledge all around us. You could grab any smartphone today. You could Google anything. And you could get an answer. Sometimes it's not right. Sometimes it is. But you can find out just about anything. Do you remember that there was a time, not so long ago, that there was not a 24 hours news cycle? You had to wait to the paper. I don't remember that. But some of y'all do. Now there's information overload. But would you say that we're smarter? Would you say that we're wiser? No. If anything, we could make the argument that we are more dependent upon technology. We're more dependent upon social media. We're more dependent upon all sorts of things. And the thing that we've become less and less dependent upon is the Lord. We've learned to do church without God because we're smarter because we've got programs, curriculums. We've got A to Z. We've got uh, all these different people who are so smart and have done all these things and it's built big churches and built big things and this, that, and the other. Because we don't need the Lord. We just need to follow this program. That's not very wise. When we take the Lord out of the Lord's work, it is the most foolish thing we've ever done. When we take the Lord and depending upon His might, His wisdom, His strength, His riches... We have royally messed up. In all of their wisdom, much like us, they lack true knowledge of God. Today, we are overloaded. We have books galore, commentaries galore, and yet we know little of being still and getting to know God. We know how to talk about God. We know how to talk about church. We know how to tell God how smart we are and we do in the way that we pray. I'm ashamed that most of the time I pray like a pastor and not a child of God. I'm ashamed that many times I pray to make sure that you think that I'm walking with the Lord instead of praying because I am walking with the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 12 to 14 give us a sort of idea that they had all this wisdom and yet it left them nowhere. Verse 12 says, Who is the wise man that may understand this? Who is he? To whom the mouth of the Lord hath spoken, that he may declare it for what the land perisheth and is burned up like a wilderness that none passeth through. Saying, all of you wise men, all of you smart men of Israel, of Judah, how many of you are wise enough to see what's coming? How many of us were wise enough to see the calamities that have happened in our nation? How many of us were wise enough to figure out to start saving or to buy a house a year ago? How many of us were wise enough to do all these different things to try to plan ahead? Because none of us were, were we? Because we don't know the future. But God's already in the future. He's not just knowing it. He's already in it. 
yet we continue to trust in our wisdom. Glorying in our wisdom shows how foolish we are. Our wisdom blinds our knowledge of God. Because our wisdom is nothing. Our knowledge is nothing compared to Him. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. They trusted in their swords. They trusted in their shields. They trusted in their strategy, strategies for, for battle. They trusted in their own strength of armies. As a matter of fact, God had warned them, when you get a king, don't go counting horse. How many horses you got? How many chariots you got? Don't go uh, looking at how many spears you got, how many mighty men you've got. Because you'll fall. What do they go and do? We've got this many horses and chariots and spears and swords and battles won. We've got this many mighty men. And all the while what they did is they forgot that all the might that they have is from the Lord. That it belongs to Him. And that the most mighty thing in your life is not your wisdom, your own strength, your riches. It is Christ. It is the Lord. Here we've done the same thing. In our churches, we trust in our strength. Nickels and noses. We've got this many nickels, we've got this many noses. You and I trust in our might by going, well, you know, I've, I've been through tough times before. I'll just pull myself right out. I'm an individual. I can take care of myself. I'm strong enough, smart enough, mighty enough, stubborn enough. Stubbornness gets us a lot of places and it never gets us to the cross. It's full of pride. Proverbs 21 tells us this. Proverbs 21, verse 31. The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. Not in that horse. Not in that chariot. How about this? All throughout the Psalms we see this. Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we remember the name of the Lord our God. There's several others. Psalm 33, verse 16 to 22, gives you the same idea. One of these as well I'll touch on for just a moment. Towards the end of the Psalms, the last few Psalms, Psalm 147 says this. Psalm 147, verses 10 and 11 Speaking of God, he delighteth not in the strength, oh, excuse me, he delighteth not in the strength of the horse, he taketh not pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him, in those that hope in his mercy. God's not looking for you to be strong. He's not looking for you to be tough. He's not even looking for you to be strong in faith. As a matter of fact, I would tell you the weaker you are in your faith, the stronger God's might can be in your life. The more that we realize our weakness, the more that we realize how not strong we are, the more we see His might, His power, His authority, the more we see who God is and what He delights to do for His children. Only the weak can know the might of God. Our might hinders our faith in Him. Because when I am strong, I view God as weak. 
But when I am weak, I view God as strong. And you and I must always view ourselves as poor and needy in need of a great, mighty, merciful God. When we do so, He so shows Himself to be just that every time. He then tells us, let not the... Uh, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. You say, well, I ain't got to worry too much about that. If you've got five bucks, you're rich. Maybe not in America, but in the world. Matter of fact, you, you got clothes on your back. I don't see nobody naked out there. Praise the Lord. Why? Because we are rich, aren't we? We might be poor in this world, so we think, but yet if we know Christ, we are more rich beyond all measure. The issue that happened to them and the issue that has happened to us today here in our churches, in our homes, and in our hearts is that we have begun to depend upon having a savings account to get anything done for the Lord or to do anything in our life. We have counted on having riches we have not learned what it means, like many before us, to simply ask of the Lord and watch Him provide. That would cause us to be far too humble. That would cause us to have far too much faith to trust and ask of God of something that we can't provide. Because the issue of our day, the issue of our Christian walks today, is that you and I think that we bring a whole lot to the table when we bring nothing. It's God's table in the first place. He brought the table and He brings the stuff to it. We cannot trust in our riches. They trusted in their savings and in their silver. Their wealth and comfort became their God that they worshipped. Proverbs 11 tells us this. Proverbs 11.28 He that trusteth in his riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. I would rather be poor and know God than rich and never trust Him. Our hearts must know God. However, our wisdom, our might, our works, if you will, our riches, our wealth, our comfort, our knowledge, our strength, all of the stuff around us, it so hinders us from trusting God because we have these things, we don't see the need of God. Nor do we see the need to know Him more. I must know Him pretty good because i got all this stuff. I've got all this wisdom. I've got all this strength. I've got the savings account. I've got these riches. I've got a car. I've got a house. I've got a whatever it might be. Those who trust in their wisdom, their works, and their wealth do not know God like they think they do. And it's because they don't trust in God. Knowing and trusting God go hand in hand. If you know Him, you'll trust Him. To know Him, to truly know Him, is to truly trust Him. However, the Christian that does the same cannot know all that God has given to him. Look at verse 24 now. We see God's design. Y'all still with me? In verse 24, the first portion, we see, But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. This is our boast. All that I have, all that I can boast in, is that I know Jesus and He knows me. 
Outside of that, I've got nothing to glory in, nothing to boast in, nothing to brag about, but I know Christ. I might be a filthy wretch, but I'm a saved filthy wretch. Not by the works of my hands, but by the work of Jesus Christ alone. All we have to glory in is found in knowing God. The great truth about this, though, is that He says, let him that glorieth, glorieth in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. You say, I can't understand all that there is to know about him. I can't know all that there is to know about God. Wonderful. You're off to a great start. The moment you realize that is the moment that you can actually begin to know God. And until you reach that place, you will never know him. Not like you ought to. Not like you could. Because the very fact that God says that we can understand and know Him, it means just that. You can know God. He is a knowable, personal God who desires and delights that His creation would know and trust Him. He desires that you have a weakness in your life because that draws us to trust Him. What do you think God's great desire was when Adam and Eve sinned? Do you think it was to punish them? If it was, they would have went to hell first. They didn't. What was God's desire? What did He do? He came and found them, but they were hiding and naked and fearful of His presence. And what did He do? He clothed them. He made a sacrifice for them. We find that God's great delight is that His creation would know and trust Him. Do you think that He wanted them to run and hide behind a tree and create out of fig leaves little aprons to cover their private parts? No! I believe the desire of God's heart the moment that they ate in sinful rebellion was that, that they would run to Him. I believe that God's great desire when you sin and I sin is that we would run to Him. I believe that God's great desire today is that no matter where you are in your life, what you're going through, what you feel like, that you would run to Him and know Him. Knowing God is all-encompassing. To know, to understand, it goes together. It is that of trust. But it begins here. First of all, in your head. What do you think about God? When we talk about Jesus, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? When, when we think about God, what is the very first thing? I, I challenge you, go home today and grab you a piece of paper, do it on the back of the bulletin maybe, right? Nobody reads that thing. <laughs> you don't. I don't. I'm going to throw mine away. I'm sorry, Sharon. Right on the back of that thing, everything that you think about God, think about what He's like and you just write that thing down. What is God like? Begins here, but I want you to know salvation isn't found here. An educational knowledge of God is found here. What you think about God matters much more than what you think and realize. Second thing we need to look at is the heart. If knowing God is all-encompassing and it might begin here to see God, to hear God, to know God, to, to dwell and to meditate about who God is and what He is like, the second thing about our heart is what do you believe about God? Because what you think about Him will determine what you believe about Him. 
But sometimes what we think about God and believe about God is not what God has said He is like. There are many of you today who might be in sin. You might be in willful rebellion and you know it. You might be saved and go, I've lost my way. I'm miserable. I'm not living right and I know it. I'm not maybe so far as I could be, but I know I'm not as close as I ought to be today. Today, I want you to know, God says, come. And right now, what you think about God might either make you run further to go hide behind a tree like Adam and Eve, or it will cause your heart to believe God at His Word and run to Him and confess your sins and be able to embrace Him once more. But as well, if knowing God is all-encompassing, we've got our head, our heart, this is all of that we are from the inside, and then the outside, our hands. How do you respond to God? What we know determines what we believe. What we think determines what we believe. What we believe determines how we live. And how we live shows us what we believe and think about God. A.W. Tozer wrote in the preface to a knowledge of the holy. The church has surrendered her once lofty concepts of God and has substituted for one so low, so ignoble as to be utterly unworthy of thinking, worshiping men. This she has done not deliberately, but little by little and without her knowledge, and her very unawareness only makes her situation all the more tragic. The low view of God entertained almost universally among Christians is the cause of a hundred lesser evils everywhere among us. A whole new philosophy of the Christian life has resulted from this one basic error in our religious thinking. With our loss of the sense of majesty has come the further loss of religious awe and consciousness of the divine presence. We have lost our spirit of worship and our ability to withdraw inwardly to meet God in adoring silence. Modern Christianity is simply not producing the kind of Christian who can appreciate or experience the life and the Spirit. The words, be still, know that I am God, mean next to nothing to the self-confident, bustling worshiper in the middle period of the 20th century. But it's true in this century too. The greatest thing that you can do this new year is know God. To know your God. And I'm not talking that you read a book and you learn some more. Maybe you read your Bible and you learn some more. But that you know Him and trust Him and live for Him. To know God is that your life is given over to Him. To walk with Him. To walk before Him. Do you know God? Do you know Him? We are designed to know Him. It is God's design that we would glory in knowing Him. The high call of mankind is to know and walk with God. To know Him is to trust Him in the only ones, in the ones that trust Him. We only trust Him if we know Him. Verse 24 continues and he says, Understandeth and knoweth me that. Here's the specifics. You want to understand and know God? He tells you how, because He tells you who He is. This is who God is. Are you ready? 
This is the message. He is the Lord. That is the sovereign ruler, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. The giver of life, the taker of life, the sustainer of life. Physical life and spiritual life. It is the Lord who gives life, the Lord who keeps you, the Lord who holds you fast in your walk, not you who holds fast to Him. I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness. God reveals Himself. You know why He does? Because He likes to. God wants us to know Him. Because He wants us to trust Him. And I would even take this step because God wants to bless His people. And the greatest blessing that God ever has given to you and I is that we can know Him. No man will know God unless God reveals Himself. God has revealed Himself. We see the inspired Word God has revealed. The incarnate Word Jesus Christ He has revealed. There is no need for a new revelation. But you must look to the cross. You must look to the Word of God. And there and only there will you find life. There and only there will you find a knowledge of the Holy. All that He is and does is found in Jesus Christ, the Son. He tells us what God is like. He tells us who God is. We don't. If a man decides who God is in his own mind, it's a God of his own creation. God calls it idolatry. Blasphemy. And yet, most of us have our own opinion about who God is. Well, I think God is like... Well, you know, God is sort of, kind of... Well, I maybe think... God does not care what you think about that. Because you don't determine it. God says, this is who I am. Now, the reason why you and I go astray and begin going, you know, I think the Lord's like, and I think maybe God is like, is because we fail to look at what God has said, this is who I am and what I'm like. Notice the first thing he describes himself as here. And the Lord that exercised loving kindness. That comes before judgment and righteousness. Isn't that sweet? You know what loving kindness is? It is God's mercy and His patience. God's merciful pity and kindness as the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God and Redeemer. He says then as well, not only do I exercise this mercy, this patience, and He's exercising it to His own people that have not known Him, refused to know Him, have not walked in His ways, and are uncircumcised at heart. If He's done that for them, today, I don't know who you are, what you're like, what your Christian walk is like, or if you even know Christ or not. Today, God's mercy is just as readily available to you right now. His loving kindness is there for you right now. The only way that you will ever receive the loving kindness of God is by faith. That is to know Him. That is to trust Him. That is to lean on Him. That is to rely upon Him. That is to cast all that you are upon all that He is. And He is loving kindness. Secondly, that He exercises judgment. God acts as the just judge who always is and does justly. Is God good? Is God good? All the time? And all the time? You sure? Are you positive? Are you positive? You sure? 
I hope so. Because this is what God has told us He's like. That He is just, and He always does that which is right. That's why I can trust Him. That's why even when my life is crashing down in God's justice, He extends loving kindness. And His mercy often appears in the suffering. God always does that which is right, and He will do and continue to do that which is right because He is justice itself. He says, I exercise righteousness because God is pure and is motivating and is movement and is sovereign rule over all things, but especially with His people. God is pure, clean, righteous, holy, just. And He's not more righteous than He is loving kindness. He is not more judgy than He is righteous. He is what He is all the time because that's who He is. He's never more or less He is the Lord. His attributes simply demonstrate who He is and what He's like and how He works amongst His creation. That's God's description. We've seen God's direction to His people, those specific people, even to you and I today in verse 23. We've seen the first portion of verse 24 God's design that we would understand and know Him and that we can understand and know Him. We can trust Him. We see God's description of who He is and what He's like. And lastly, and we're done, we find God's delight. How many of y'all today would say, I want to bring delight to the Lord? Of course we would. We wouldn't be foolish enough to even say it. That we wouldn't. You want to delight the Lord? He says, for in these things I delight, saith the Lord. You want to know how to delight God? Know Him. Know Him more. Know Him deeper. Not here. Here and here. You must trust Him. If you're saved today, and if you are, praise the Lord, trust Him more. There's more to know about God than that He saved you from hell. There's more to know about God than He saved you from everlasting flame and even from His own wrath. But He desires to walk with you today. He's got much more in store for us. God delights as well in this. And we can delight in this. Because you know what we ought to delight in? The things that God delights in. And what He delights in is that He has revealed Himself to us. I know Christ. I know God because of Jesus Christ. God delights in revealing Himself He delights in us trusting Him as we learn to know Him. Because it is an ever-continuing process of learning to trust Him. God delights in this. Not my wisdom, nor my might, nor my riches. God delights in His wisdom His works. His might. His riches. His wealth. And where are those found? In the person and work of Jesus Christ. Outside of that, we don't have it. All that God is and all that God gives is found in Jesus Christ. God delights as well. 
Not just when I try to exercise loving kindness. He certainly does. Not just when I try to exercise judgment, which I certainly try. Not just when I try to exercise righteousness, which I fail at. All three, by the way. Every day. God delights in His loving kindness. God delights to be merciful to you. God delights to extend His mercy. God delights to save sinners. God delights to sanctify His saints. God delights in you knowing His mercy, His patience, His loving kindness. God delights in judgment. This is not just referring, God delights in playing whack-a-mole. That's not what we're talking about. God delights in justice because He will always do that which is right. He can do no wrong, will do no wrong, could never even have it cross His mind. All that God does, if God struck me dead right here behind this pulpit, He would be the most just one that there ever could be. If God gave me nothing else, I know this in my life, He's been full of loving kindness and full of justice. God delights in doing what is right. Because that's who He is. God delights. God delights in His righteousness. And that's found all of this is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you will know God, you must know and trust Jesus. If you have known and trusted Jesus and you're saved, you must know and trust Him more if you will receive all that God has for you in this life. He has not just given you life to come, but He's given you life now. A life more abundant. You say, does that mean I'm going to have Wisdom and might and riches. Yes, it does in Christ Jesus. It means I might be for Christ's sake so that I might know Him the most unwise in this world that the world would say He's a fool. It means as well I might be stricken down with sickness, blindness, and my legs could stop moving and yet there would be might displayed in my life. I might find that I don't have a dollar to my name, but yet I would be rich. Not I, but Christ in me. Do you know God? Are you living as God designed for you to live, dear Christian? To grow deeper in a knowledge and a trust of Him? Does thinking about knowing God scare you or drive you to Him? It ought to drive you to Him. Does thinking about God make you shudder with fear and run and hide? If it does, the greatest thing that you can do is stop, turn, and take one step to Him and He'll meet you right there. And you can know the God that brings a fear to your bones. There's no need to run. There is a need to bow ourselves 
and know the God who loves us. Are you trusting today, dear Christian, in your own wisdom? You see, I'm a good Christian because I'm wise. I'm wise because of all that I know. You don't know nothing. and Neither do I. Are you trusting in your own works? You know, I've done this for God. No, you haven't. I want to tell you all that I've done for God this morning. Would you like that? Nothing. God has taken this poor wretch. He mashes him down with His loving kindness, His justice and His righteousness, with His wealth and His wisdom and His works. He breaks me and builds me and binds me and brings me unto Himself. I've never done a thing for the Lord. But He's done everything for me. We must come to this place. Or are you trusting in your comfort, in your riches? You won't be rich until you know Christ. Today, do you know Him? Are you growing in a knowledge of God? Let's all stand this morning. We're going to have an invitation hymn. During this hymn, while we sing, this altar's open. If you need to know Christ and trust Him for the very first time, would you come?